Welcome everyone, this is Parlay, a podcast about living, learning, and betting on yourself. I'm Kelly McGuire, and I invite you to join me in candid conversations with my inspiring guests. I sit down with CEOs, advocates, parents, writers, artists, yogis, entrepreneurs, the list goes on. Everyone has a story that connects us, and it's my goal to share them with you. What experiences have shaped their lives? What did they define as success and failure? When is the right time to take a risk? And how have they learned to parlay their last move into their next move? These are just some of the topics we cover and so much more. Wherever you're joining us from, welcome to the conversation. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're having a great start to your day or whatever time of day it is that you're tuning in with us. Today is an episode that has been in the making since, well, effectively even before the podcast began. My dear friend, Adam Hoffman, president of Vesta Wealth Partners and director at Cerulean Private Equity, is joining me today to discuss his passion for finding your purpose. With interests in business and law, well, tax law to be exact, and a fierce love of entrepreneurship, Adam possesses an unquenchable thirst for deeper self-knowledge. He has spent years dedicating his time and resources to understanding his passions and strengths while working to find his authentic path. Adam is ardent about helping people find their purpose and is an incredibly insightful individual. This conversation is for anyone questioning their next step. Welcome, Adam. That's a great intro, Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> you are most welcome. It is 100% deserved on your end. Well, I don't know. I do put a lot of time and resources into trying to find uh, strengths and, uh, and purpose or fulfillment is my favorite word. So yeah, I love that intro. Perfect. Well, I'm glad it pleases. So how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Yeah, we're chatting on a Monday morning and Mondays are always hectic, of course, but uh, we both got settled into our desk chairs here and are ready to rock. So that feels good. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. And thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'll get into a little bit later, but Adam, Adam is one of the sole reasons that this podcast actually exists. So for anybody who enjoys listening to it, you can give Adam a big Thank you. <laughs> so let's start with how are things how are things going right now? What's the temperature in Adam's life? Oh, always running red, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a fun journey. As you know, I've had a lot of different iterations of ways to exhaust myself over the years, but this one is... Um, is mostly, of course, from the, the joy of having six, four and two-year-old daughters. Exactly. So we just had an amazing weekend, uh, Passover weekend. Our mm-hmm. uh, Alex's sister, my wife Alex's sister, Maury, and uh, brother-in-law Dan are in from Sydney, Australia with their kids. So the cousins are jamming for the first time, which is just such a joy. And uh, yeah. cousins from California and everything. So so that that's the thing that that's redlining the most these days. And, and business is great. We're um, a, uh, a small 15 person team that's been growing a lot over the last two and a half years that I've been running this organization. So that feels like startup mode, which of course mm-hmm. is another thing that's like constant red line. I'm sure you've had lots of startup folks on before. So lots on the go. Well, that's good. And I have to ask, did you get to partake in the major Toms the other night? 
Oh, yes, it was excellent. <laughs> we stole Kelly's reservation for Major Tom's, which was a highlight. And, and, and taking uh, Sydney Ites to Major Tom was obviously nice because they're used to pretty fancy restaurants in that big yeah. city, metropolitan city. So Maureen and Dan had a great time. So that was great. Oh, that's good. Yes, I when I found out I had made a, res- a reservation on a whim months ago because it's so hard to get a reservation there. So I just booked it and then uh, my husband and I couldn't make it. So I kind of offered it up to some girlfriends and said, before I cancel this, does anybody want it? And and luckily, Adam and his wife and uh, her sister and her husband got to take it. So I'm glad you guys enjoyed. That's such a great spot. I love me. It was awesome. awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we have so much to get into. Uh, Adam and I had some back and forth before the podcast. Well, and, uh, and we're friends, so we just get to chat a lot all the time anyways. But uh, Adam left me a few notes and said, oh, don't let me go too far down the rabbit hole on this topic or this topic. He's like, I, I, you're going to have to you're going to have to keep me in check here. So I know he has lots of wisdom to impart. You know, finding purpose, fulfillment is a huge passion of yours. And I can't wait to get into it. One thing I do want to talk about, though, uh, to, is if you guys, if you could give everybody a little bit of background, how did you, you know, find this passion for business, tax law is a very specific area that you ended up kind of working in first professionally, and then it's progressed. And you were a very competitive hockey player in your younger years. So how did all of that play a role in where you are now? Yeah in the journey to here. Yeah. Well, it's, um, there's gotta be something to being a dedicated hockey player on that, on being a big part of the first steps of that path. Right. Because mm-hmm. as anyone who dedicates themselves to a sport at a young age or any passion at a young age knows, it's like, it's really neat to start to feel that fulfillment from achieving something and feeling good about the efforts that you're making. So definitely, uh, hockey here in Calgary, uh, was a big part of that, but I, I like to joke that I had one of the sort of the fastest flameouts in in a hockey journey you could have because at the age of 12, I was uh, one of, I think, seven players in the city of Calgary to play double-A Bantam as a peewee age kid. So mm-hmm. um, there weren't a lot of us scouts and agents were around me and all of that. And uh, by the time I was 15 years old, so call it three or four years later, um, I was already like way off of the WHL radar and already like peaking as a, as a, an athlete and kind of played out the string at the Calgary Royals here in Southwest Calgary. And, uh, at 18 years old, that was, that was the end of my hockey career in, in high school. I also, um, joined a uh, real estate investment network, R E I N and kind of saw that I was interested in, in business and, uh, and uh, I didn't know it was small business yet um, and followed the uh, the internet craze as like a, a teenager on dial-up modems being like, wow, eBay at yeah. $190 is a great price, dad. You should buy some stock. <laughs> so, stuff like that. But, um, you know, really not knowing one particular area that interested me going into university, Kelly, was was probably advantageous. And I think it's terrible is that we make uh, kids try and pick a educational track in first year university. But um, by getting pre-accepted to the Richard Ivey School of Business at Western, where we first met, um, yeah. I was able to have general studies uh, in my first two years. And I found that really valuable to kind of figuring out where I wanted to 
to land next, but but business was always interesting. And um, at Richard Ivy, they had just established the um, the uh, I think it's now called the Morissette uh, uh, seat that Eric Morse, I think he still sits on to, for entrepreneurship. And so entrepreneurship wasn't yet cool in 2003 when when I, <laughs> I went into business, but um, I probably should have ended up an entrepreneur straight away, given it's such a big passion of mine. But yeah, I'd, whatever it was, was, you know, fear of jumping off of a cliff or um, just not knowing what, what starting as an entrepreneur would look like as a young person. I ended up doing a joint business law degree uh, w- with Richard Ivey and uh, Western's uh, Faculty of Law. And that's where I fell in love with tax. I thought tax law was super cool. Um, I found it interesting that there was a way to uh, really add value to people's lives because you hear a lot about lawyers, you know, being expensive and being looked at as a cost center, but tax Mm -hmm. lawyers are a value center in the form of like providing tax savings. So that's how I got uh, (laughs) into tax law and joined a a small firm here in Calgary named Shane and Erlen Kalman at the time, which at his peak had about 36 lawyers. Um, but 12 tax lawyers. So I got to jam with a lot of tax lawyers, international tax, cross-border to the U.S., uh, small to large scale uh, opportunities. And and I personally fell in love with something called aggressive tax planning and uh, became focused on loss consolidation. So marrying loss companies with profit companies in in ways that the CRA would not like. Um, (laughs) But but, but soon, you know, kind of realized that I wasn't going to be a career uh, tax lawyer. I don't, if we've shared this story before, Kelly, I'm not sure, but my mentor at the firm, Dennis Nerland, who uh, I owe pretty much most of my professional direction mm-hmm. in life to, um, did a really good job of shaping me as a tax lawyer in my first four years. So, you know, that's, they call that sort of the, the, the trees before the forest kind mm-hmm. of level of tax law when you don't know the act and you're just learning your way. But in my fifth year professional development meeting with Dennis, he said, okay, you're, you're a good tax lawyer now. You're kind of putting it together. Let's start working on practice management, which is a, a term to describe the business of law. And I said to Dennis, you know, I, I'm sorry, Dennis, I, I figured you would have known by now, but I'm, I'm just not interested in being a career tax lawyer. And he says, oh, and, and in this, you know, wonderful man's way who, who passed away in November just recently, unfortunately, uh, from a, a four and a half year battle with, uh, with cancer, he, he really gave it a good uh, battle, but um, he's, he just immediately pivoted. And by the end of the meeting, he had tripled my professional development budget to join something called Tech Canada, which is a peer mentoring and moderated uh, professional development group. And that kind of really got me going in, in uh, potentially being a business leader one day. So that, you know, that, that's like half of the journey. I know that you probably didn't want me to go that long. <laughs> no, that's totally I was, good. I, I, that, that took me all the way to sort of the start of my, my entrepreneurship journey. Excellent. Um, no, we need all the details because it's, you know, interesting that, you know, you, you did play in the kind of more strictly corporate space for a while before sorting, okay, this is great. And, you know, many people are very happy staying in that space, but for you, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> yeah. There's something about giving yourself permission to, to say what you are good and aren't good at. Right. And there was mm-hmm. something about me in the practice of law that just made, um, you know, 50 files at one time and, um, you know, trying to drive outcomes 
with like an unending to do list and uh, just sort of the, the 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 pace and the intensity of it. And and that's coming from a tax lawyer. If you if I had been a securities law lawyer, I would have been completely burnt out over those twelve <laughs> yeah. years. But um, yeah, there was something about it that definitely didn't suit me. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel that you know? I, I wasn't at the same level by any means, but I also was really involved uh, as a as a young kid with sports. One in particular, I used to be a skater and. I, I was kind of done and over by 13, but I was, you know, practicing before school. I was skating with kids who were a lot older than me because I had accelerated quicker when I was younger. And how did you find, because I know we talked about this actually a few weeks ago, we were at a dinner together and you shared some really interesting stuff I had never realized before about you, which is always amazing after we've been friends for so long to learn new things. But um, Adam shared a story with me about what it was like when his hockey career ended and how that had such a huge impact on you. Not, not just from, you know, like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do what I thought I was going to do in my sport, but I feel like it had a really profound effect on you as a person at a really young age and your EQ is quite high. I was so impressed with the actions that you took um after hockey ended so maybe you could talk about that a little bit I, I found it so insightful and profound for somebody at that age to understand how to do <laughs> what you did next well I don't know I okay so uh I mentioned that I sort of flamed out my hockey career I, I knew I wasn't going to make it as a as a hockey player by about 15 years old um there was a small part of me that thought that I could still make NCAA division one if mm -hmm. I went and played junior in, in my sort of 19 and 20 year ages, but it was really, really unlikely. Uh, so after um, getting cut by uh, two different AAA midget hockey teams, the Southwest, and I, I got a, a special invitation to the Northwest only to be cut a week later, I was really reeling and um, just having a hard time with the realization that, you know, you're in your uh, 12th grade year, uh, you you realize that uh, school is coming to an end, and now and now your hockey career is is coming mm -hmm. to an end as well, and uh, w was really falling apart, Kelly. Like it was um, it was it was hard on my parents. It was hard on me. Mm -hmm. uh, it was there wasn't a lot of sort of like uh, fail forward type language in the world, at mm -hmm. least as I had interacted with with the idea. Uh, back in uh, you know 2000 and so i used my allowance you really liked this part of the story i, I used did. my allowance <laughs> so i'm quite thankful that i had the types of parents that would allow me to have you know a hundred plus dollars sitting in my td account savings account uh because i used my uh my uh my own allowance to hire a therapist um, yeah. And, you know, I know that the, the healthiest thing would have been to try and flesh this all the way through with my folks. And I do obviously have a great relationship with mm -hmm. my parents. I feel very fortunate about that. But there was something about knowing that it was um, anonymous, somebody mm -hmm. who was trained to sort of work through issues with you. And also something, there was something to the therapist being outside of the hockey culture, which had yeah. really uh, sort of enveloped uh, myself and, and my family, and you know this well, of course, that yep. like most cultures, the hockey culture is kind of encircled in its own thinking. And I, I needed to think outside that space. So, you know, before this uh, podcast interview, I was trying to remember, like, what types of things did we actually talk about? And, mm -hmm. you know, it's too long ago to really, you know, unpack the 
you know, all of the feelings and the anxieties. And I think it was three sessions, but it really changed my year because it made me realize that um, one of the key things that the the therapist landed was I, I'm not defined as a hockey player. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's me defining myself that way. And that's something that, it, you know, w- we can work on together to, to redefine uh, myself under. And, and then the other big one was just sort of understanding how failing forward works and understanding that. So, so, you know, I was, you know, sort of like falling apart around the failures and mm-hmm. she was sort of unpacking, well, what were the good things that came out of this journey that you went through with hockey? And, and that really, you know, that, that was the first time I, I came to realize how valuable failing was and it, without really understanding it, you mm-hmm. know, at, at 18 years old, but you look at it with the sort of the value of decades and you, you realize like, man, you know, of all of the different ways for my um, high school career to go, I think having this uh, massive commitment to hockey and then this massive failure. One of the most important things to learn there was the the failing forward and the idea that, you know, there's so much good that comes from failing and you don't realize it when you're in the moment. But the idea that after all these decades that the, the real gift that I got from committing all of that time and effort into something, really learning how to dedicate myself to something and still failing at it and mm-hmm. coming out the other end, you know, better for it, which you obviously don't see at the time. That was all really valuable stuff that I feel super fortunate that I got to experience. You know, that is a very good example of why I think that fulfillment is really the important aim of anyone that's trying to grab life and and really make the most of it and not happiness because fulfillment has highs and lows. You, there's no way to to sort of have set um, interesting goals and and go out and try and achieve them without having uh, failures and uh, and unhappiness and disharmony and conflict and and feeling bad about yourself and all these things that um, only through time do you get to look back at and say, man, that that was part of the journey and I really I'm I'm really happy I went through it. But, in looking back at it, not, yeah. not happy to <laughs> go the through time. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. I, uh, you know, what a valuable lesson to learn. And like you said, especially just before heading to university, which I also agree with you when you said it's not right to have to tell somebody at such a young age with such a little life experience, usually, you know, by the time you're 18 to say, okay, Every year, you're going to pay this school thousands of dollars to educate you on a very specific path. So, you know, don't change your mind or anything because you're now, now you're really in it. Now you're just going to start racking up student debt if you change your mind and want to change majors. And I often think, um, you know, Mike and I have talked about this, my husband, and, you know, he said, what, what's one thing that you kind of wish you would have done or, you know, this or that? Not necessarily a regret, but I always wish that I would have taken a gap year now. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. I'm happy Look, at, you know, I, where I am, but I, I wonder what would have come of it to learn a bit more about myself and, and the path that I took. Uh, I enjoyed my program, but I don't feel like I had a ton of information about who I was yet to make mm-hmm. that big of a decision. So, yeah. but I like that, uh, you know, learning to, you're not defined by something. It's like you're putting these parameters around your head, uh, you know, around yourself. And so I feel like that probably maybe subconsciously has probably really helped you as you've moved through the various points of your career, because you have learned that lesson to say, okay, so I, 
I have a business degree and I went to law school, but I don't necessarily have to stay in those lanes. You know, I can, I can verge out, merge back in. Um, yeah, I think it was just such a valuable lesson. And like I said, so, so, so insightful um, to know that that third party would just provide the sounding board that you really needed at that time. Yeah, re really lucky um, to have done that. And, uh, you know, that was back when, you know, self-help was still looked at as being like a, a really negative connotation mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and seeking therapy was still sort of, I, I would think at that time was still sort of like, oh, there's a sickness there that mm -hmm. makes you unique, uh, uniquely um, broken, which is just obviously not the case. Yeah. And it, this is really <laughs> valuable stuff. And um, yeah, so yeah, as I was listening to you, I, I was thinking that that was a massive lesson for me, for sure. And then the other one that, you know, has made my journey um, really fortunate would be the safety net. The idea that, you know, whether it was by education or just parent support, um, recognizing that I, I am a fortunate enough person to um, know that, you know, I'm going to be able to eat every night, no matter what. And, uh, and that I don't have to commit to, to doing work that uh, kind of eats at me or, or, or exhausts me. So I'd say between those two things, understanding the comfort of failure and understanding that not everyone, but certainly myself is fortunate enough to have a safety in that, that, um, mm -hmm. you know, that those were two big lessons that uh, I think have really shaped my life. Yeah. And super valuable at such a, at such a young age, right? Um, to have that in your back pocket moving forward. Like I said, even if it was subconscious or not, <laughs> it's still yeah. there. It's still, it's still useful, right? So, so you went to university, you, you did the degrees, you ended up, um, as you said, at the tax law firm. What, what was the end of the road there? When did you know that it was time to move on? And what was Ooh. that next step? Well, so my next step, would be unique uh, and, and jumping off a cliff would be a really interesting uh, uh, story to, to, you know, pick apart. Um, but then maybe my story here can give a lesson that there's always a unique way to design a next step. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I was around, this is now around seventh or eighth year call, which is when you start um, becoming a partner and really tracking towards the career as a lawyer, I invested in a, a company and that would not be uh, unique for Dennis, my mentor, who, who had uh, a, a very, very large number of private companies that he would have invested in. And mm -hmm. as uh, one of the only business students and certainly the only one with an interest in, in non-billable hours, I did all of the underwriting of his investment opportunities. So mm -hmm. I would meet with these businesses and you know help him get the data that he needed to decide whether or not to invest in all these companies. And then I saw one that I really loved. And, uh, and so Dennis and I underwrote it and, and agreed to invest in it. And this investment was into a, a diesel refining technology startup. So it had this unique scientific application and it was way out there. But um, if, it had, if it could do what it said it could do, it was this massive opportunity. And so I was very excited about it. But even with all that excitement, I still didn't have sort of the courage to jump off a cliff and leave law entirely and uh, and go be the CFO of this startup. So there was about a year and a half there where, maybe slightly more, where uh, Dennis 
turned off my salary. He said, okay, I know you want to go do this startup, but you don't want to get all the way out of law. So mm -hmm. let's take the golden handcuffs off. We'll turn off your salary. We'll still put you on the website and you can still have clients and keep your, your, your law business going and we'll compensate you for your efforts towards your law, but, but not with this set salary so that you're obligated to, to work for us. Um, and, uh, and then off to the races, you can go and, and go be the CFO and, and late founder of this diesel refining technology that's now called Catal Energy. And, mm -hmm. and what an amazing, yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard of a, a lawyer at a law firm <laughs> yeah. that had that kind of setup. <laughs> um, so, so that says so many things to me that, that one of the things it says there is, you know, I, I always loved smaller uh, businesses and smaller firms. I worked at Enbridge one summer and I felt very lost in the bigger organization. And, uh, and I uh, matched as an articling student to a, a big law firm in Canada, uh, which I chose the smaller law firm. And this is an example of why, because you can really adapt your environment to, to how it suits you in a smaller business environment than you can in a larger where it's much more strict. So, mm -hmm. um, so Dennis, you know, designing that for me was, was only possible because he was the sole managing partner and can make decisions on the fly. Um, and then, you know, and then the idea there that, you know, as, as a lawyer, you, you feel like you have an identity as a lawyer and that this is how the world sees you in business. And I, I just simply wasn't ready to be seen as a startup co-founder. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I loved tax law. I still do to this day. I love, um, how it can help people. Um, but, uh, I wasn't quite ready to shed the, the stamp, you know, on the forehead of this is a tax lawyer in the world. Mm -hmm. And so designing that sort of that half exit, uh, was super special. So then I went off and, and co-founded or, or late founded this, uh, technology startup. Two of the other four founders, um, Darcy Tour and Craig Latimer had a massive impact on my journey because they were like seasoned, uh, startup guys. They had, previously started up, I think, of three different companies and have since started up crazy number of companies. And Darcy's currently the CEO of Zazun, which is a well-known fintech play in, in the city. Mm -hmm. And Craig is still the CEO of Catal Energy, it is co-founded some other companies since. Anyways, these two guys really showed me what it meant to lean into the startup world, how much different it is to be a team player uh, with that much pressure around you in a startup versus you know, get paid for your advice. In previous yeah. <laughs> years before that, I was just like, oh, is this a hard problem? Well, pay me something and I'll yeah. solve this for you. And it's like, yeah. it's a, it's a completely different environment when you're yeah. in business together. And, and boy, did I grow a lot from those guys and, uh, and really start to realize that like the, the type of person you have to be in business is so well-rounded. And mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons you mentioned how uh, powerful I think entrepreneurship is. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I think entrepreneurship is sort of a, a, a powerful secret hidden value of families mm -hmm. that can really succeed for, for a long period of time, because within it as a, as a focus, you get a lot of things like, like learning from failure and teamwork and problem solving and uh, you know, effective capital deployment and, and the pressures of, of, of um, staffing and employing people. And when you're, you know, starting up a business that can mean, uh, you know, putting payroll on your credit card and all those wonderful lessons from entrepreneurship, I just think are just really, really incredible. So that's how I uh, made my half step out of uh, law and, uh, and, and learned that I really enjoyed being, uh, being a, a startup entrepreneur.
So what is it about startups or the entrepreneurial mindset that you think attracts you the most as opposed to, you know, punching a clock or more of a traditional setting? Is there one or two or three key aspects of it that is, is it in you? Do you think it's something that's, that you're born with? Do you like, is it a quality that's just innate or in your case, do you feel like you had a kernel of it and it grew? Hmm. There's all sorts of, I guess the first thing I have to say is entrepreneurship in the form of starting up a business from scratch is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, it seems to have caught this sort of allure of, um, you know, everyone can be their own business and, uh, and, and everyone should have like a hustle on the side, is, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I'm not positive that that is a valuable way to look at um, starting a business for the world, that there's a lot of uh, sort of pain and commitment through what could otherwise be sort of covered over with other different, uh, different ways of, of building out business ideas. You know, for example, um, raising capital uh, so that you're always um, well financed would be a lot different than most uh, how most startups work or um, entrepreneurship is, uh, you know, building something valuable for the world within a family business or family enterprise is is really becoming a popular topic in in my world. So Mm -hmm. so maybe just I wanted to highlight that I don't think that startups are for everyone. But what is it about entrepreneurship that I think that, well, one, two or three things couldn't cover it. And this is <laughs> probably not even this entire podcast could cover it. <laughs> there's so many things I love about entrepreneurship. I just really do. Um, so how so how to try and cover this off? Well, I mentioned uh, problem solving. I, this idea that um, entrepreneurship is sort of the commerce form of finding your best way to serve others. And I mm-hmm. think that serving others, of course, is is one of the most simplest and effective ways to find fulfillment in life. So it's like the the business version of self-actualization and, and achieving something successful and fulfilling that you would enjoy. I think that that's one of the really powerful things about entrepreneurship is finding a way that you can add value uh, to others in the world mm-hmm. is just a really incredible pursuit. And so um, that would be one that really stands out for me. Uh, I think uh, entrepreneurship in the form of um, uh, failure is is also a really powerful thing because you're sort of giving yourself a playground within which the failure, sometimes it feels like failure goes on forever. Um, and you just like, you're struggling through it, this pursuit that you have a passion for and you can't find the finish line and you're just not sure where well, in entrepreneurship, the finish line is when you're out of money and you can't find the next step. Like there is a finish line and that business idea is done and it did not work. And let's start unpacking why it didn't work and what yeah. our lessons are for the next one, because, you know, there is a finish line and that makes it very powerful, I think, in terms of ways that you can fail, because there's like this very sort of um, distinct event to to how failing at entrepreneurship tends to look. So that would be another that comes to mind. But you know, it, as we walk through my story here, we'll get to my passion for family governance and the mm-hmm. idea that uh, wealth is naturally destructive if left unharnessed and families of means need to figure out how to empower their family members. I, I think entrepreneurship is just one of the most powerful ways that you can build successful families for generations because it just it, it creates all of the rules 
that wealth is created from, you know, that you've got this idea in your head of this wealth creator that built something in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't, shouldn't be the last person within that family lineage to experience that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, reinvigorating the power of entrepreneurship within family enterprise, I think is, is the simplest and, and most obvious way to me uh, to, to make families succeed for a hundred years. And so, you know, every family has their own values and principles and tries to figure out how to live them and they change through time. But I think entrepreneurship and the idea of finding ways to make money to provide value to others is, is one of these timeless values that families can grab hold of for, for generations. I totally agree with you, Adam. There's so much can be taken from that. And I can't wait to talk more about that. And it's a actually a perfect segue to talk about the transition of you to this current role. And I think if I'm correct, that it was around this time of transitioning that you really dove deep into considering, you know, this move to kind of a new, a new playground, a new entrepreneurial endeavor. And you put in a lot of work, whether it's mentorship, courses, self-reflection, like you spent, I don't know, you speak to it. I know it was, you know, it, this, it, this was not some like, I went away for two days to some self-discovery conference. <laughs> like this, this was intense. You know, you put yeah. a lot of time and effort into it. So maybe you could talk about what led you to realize that it was time for something new and then how you went about kind of sussing out what that next step was and the work that you've done. Yeah, okay, Helly, Kelly, okay. here we go. This is this is my go. big pivot moment, right? All right, here we yeah, go. Here we go. Everybody we get, get about, so. your coffee and get in the armchair, okay, people. Okay. Lean in. <laughs> Lean is, in. This is this is Adam's pivot. So um so yeah, so I, I continued that idea of being, you know, part tax lawyer, half lifing as a tax lawyer quickly. If you're if you don't have fifty files on the go, um for you know, every year you're 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 not gonna be a tax lawyer for long. And uh building the uh the startup and then the the startup needed a pivot uh we had uh burned through about four and a half million dollars still no revenue still no um prototype of our mm -hmm. of our concept and so we were like oh boy this is going to be quite the pivot here mm -hmm. and uh we were fortunate to raise uh six million dollars from a couple of big family offices that um were looking at their portfolio of renewable energy options and said well if this Catal idea works, it kind of dwarfs all of them. So to them, it's almost like an option price. And I know that's remarkable amount of money to just call it an option. But um, we, we let's say we found the right investors. And so uh, once we found those investors, um, you know, I, I turned to my found co-founders and I said, guys, you know, CFO, uh, IP strategist, got our IP strategy in the right direction, got this capital for the for the near to long term let's let's unleash Adam from this startup and and uh, take that salary off and 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 find find the next thing for me and and my Darcy and Craig were were quite great gracious in in letting me you know find my exit mm -hmm. um, first and uh, and Darcy shortly after that and so that created space there was a pretty good feeling that I didn't want to get back to full-time private practice Mm -hmm. uh, that would have been part of the sort of the hypothesis, but my moderator of my Tech Canada group at that time was a coach because I was no longer in Tech Canada. Um, Todd Miller, he's currently the CEO of Tech Canada, 
remarkable guy. Uh, he's gone through some interesting pivots in his life um, and is still one of my coaches to this day and just a really valuable uh, part of my life. I think everyone should have coaches. I have two. We could talk about coaching for you know a long time, but I just have to flag it to say that he's the reason that I was challenged in my pivot because what I thought was going to happen next was, um, you know, raise 10, 20 million dollars and invest in seed uh, stages of uh, venture technology firms. So basically, the success I had had with these family offices investing in Catal, um, mm -hmm. try and find other opportunities like Catal uh, and and raise money and, and go deploy it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Todd said something to the effect of, okay, I mean, that's a working theory, but uh, we're going to work for the next six months on whether that is is the right route for you. And we're going to work through some some things, whether it was a strength finder or personality assessment or um, my favorite step was uh, when he introduced me to Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's um, uh, concept of flow, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, if you've heard of it, you've heard of it. I can see the nodding that the idea is with flow that you can find somehow, some way you can find work and productivity where you lose track of time. So artists talk about not eating for days when they're in a groove or uh, you hear about, uh, you know, Michael Jordan losing track of time uh, when he's in the zone. And so this idea of flow is, is, has been proven psychologically. And he was like, you know, I just don't think that you've ever really found something that's, that's authentically Adam's groove. And that was kind of true because, you know, what I can be, you can be talented at something, you can be productive at something without it really being something that you can find flow in. And I, I hadn't, I hadn't found anything that was, was really where I could just chew on for days or read something for hours and really, um, you just get lost in it. And, uh, you know, my version of flow is, uh, it, it's the lens through which you see the world. Like once you find your flow, it just becomes sort of the natural way that you just like, Oh, that reminds me of this topic within what I'm interested in. You just, it just, it's the lens you see the, the world through is, is, is kind of how I look at flow. So, um, probably about four months into that six month journey, uh, I read a book, Jay Hughes's family wealth book. And this book is, and Jay Hughes and this book were one of sort of the two tracks, um, laying down the foundation for a, a consulting field called family governance. And the, the book came at me like, like some books tend to do. It came back at me at the right time in my life and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it was my discovery of family governance. It was my discovery of this long held feeling that some families seem to really nail uh, building up their rising generation and, and helping them find fulfillment in the world. And some families seem to completely avoid that as a topic and seek luxury and comfort and, and their, their stewards don't seem to have the same fulfillment. Um, and, uh, you know, the, of the two tracks, the, the one that appealed to me the most was the one that was, um, sort of more art than science, Jay Hughes's path, because he was more sort of family cultural and spiritual focused, uh, than the other track, which is often, um, credited to John Ward and uh, now mm -hmm. the Family Business Consulting Group, which is more sort of the hard side of uh, policies and procedures and coming up with systems so that families can make effective decisions is sort of the other side of family governance. And they're both valuable. Um, I, I, I use both in the work that I do, uh, but but it was 
it was that concerted effort to try and find something with that was really my lens that I saw the world through. And it really just started to, the, to wake up, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the tax tail does w- wag the family dog. All those trusts I set up were not very helpful or, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, you know, the, the, the yeah. uh, investing in your people. I always believe that um, investing in, in people was, it was a valuable thing, even if uh, the opportunity didn't return on in investment, it, it was building people. And so, you know, the, it just all these things started to unpack in, in the way that I saw the world once I found family governance. And uh, so it was through valuable coaching and staying curious and, and trying to find the, the lens that I see the world through. Amazing. And as you said, like, th- this was a in-depth, with with coaches months at length like and and I know still to this day you continue to to dive deep on what's driving you and what you can bring to the families that you're you're servicing at Vesta and it seems to be that coaching has been a theme you know looking back through your hockey career and even you know even those few sessions I would say that you took yourself to therapy Yep. Uh, you know, it's more coaching than hard therapy yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So you've always valued mentorship and coaching. What would you say to people who think, oh, I know myself best, right? Like I don't need a coach. I know myself. I, I, I'll i be able to get myself out of this. Like what would you say to them that they're missing? Ooh, I would say you definitely have cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. that are in the way of you getting to the most efficient route back to harmony and progress. Because if you're stuck in something, at least in my experience, I'm, I'm probably the worst to see myself when I'm in the rut or lacking in confidence. Another one would be lacking in confidence. Like, you mm. know, you can't tell that you don't have your natural level of confidence until someone around you is like, ah, you feel like you're you're not yourself today, Adam. What's going on there? So, yeah, I I would say that um, becoming your best possible self on any given day or quarter of the year, uh, it can be short or long term, requires some sort of uh, a, a medium to bounce things off of. And for me, that's coaching. Uh, you know, I I have taught as my sort of my I don't know how to describe him. He's just like my everything coach in terms of personal development, professional development, just sort of seeing me, seeing right through me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just a really powerful coach to, you know, I, I, I hear a lot that, you know, people don't uh, want life coaches because life coaches have this impression that they're helping you sort of uh, pursue your dreams in a way that's too altruistic or yeah. is coming from a place of, without experience. So they don't know, you know, how to really get you there or so on and so forth. And, and I, to that, I don't, I just say, maybe you haven't found the right coach mm-hmm. um, because there's, there's definitely massive parts of way over 50% of the work that Todd helps me with would look like life coaching, mm-hmm. um, even though he's an executive coach and uh, we, we, we jam on business and, and HR issues and, and scaling up and, you know, hard, hard business issues on the, on the regular, I'd say way more than half of it is just unpacking me and, and how am I interacting with the world to, you know, where are my gaps and what should I be growing in and what are my personal goals and how am I going to go get those done within the context of the business work I do. And, you know, the, the, you know, that's, that's really valuable stuff. And 
the other coach I have is an accountability coach. I was finding um, like most sort of creative minds or, or people that aren't good like you, Kelly, at, uh, at being uh, integrators. There's a, a book called Traction that, that, that so beautifully describes sort of visionary and integrators. And, and uh, if we were running a business, I, I'd be the one with the idea and you'd be the one to actually do it because, you know, I'm, I'm just not, not a good, not a good doer. So uh, I hired an accountability coach to really keep me on track of making sure I was prioritizing the most important things and not letting my, my, uh, my mind, which is often distracted by ideas and new business ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, as squirrels tend to do with nuts is, is sort of how I interact with, with the world. So the other coach I have is an accountability coach and, and, uh, and, and he's been remarkable because he's a, you know, he's American. We've never met in person. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's really good value to me. And we just, we interact online and boy, is he ever like hilariously hard on me about like, yeah. this just sounds like BS. And he's just, he's just very good at holding me accountable. So, um, yeah, so so those are those are two examples of how uh, powerful uh, uh, coaching is, and mm-hmm. you know I I still think that um, you know just just friends that care a lot about each other that are willing to get away from small talk and idle chit chat to dig in on each other's journeys is mm-hmm. is probably the best form of 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 coaching you can find. It would just be sort of pure accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can find people like that, that, um, can really kind of, uh, work with you on the journey, that's, uh, you know, that that's Alex and Mike, and my, my yeah. wife and your husband are two yeah. examples <laughs> of people that have helped me, uh, with that over the years. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe you could just kind of rattle off those a few books again. Well, and maybe not necessarily that you found for your path in particular, but for people who, maybe people who are younger, who are just starting in their career, maybe they don't have the funds or their business doesn't offer subsidized coaching or something like that. Do you have a few Mm -hmm. good recommendations uh, for people starting out who don't have access as easily to coaching where a good place to start would be? Yeah. Well, YouTube is, is, where I really leaned in. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe it's all those years of reading as a lawyer, but I, I personally don't find I actually grow that much from reading. I can kind of get lost in it and 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 you can kind of reflect back on reading it, it, as being sort of um, uh, enjoyable and pick a thing or two out. But for whatever reason, my, my learning style, um, you know, I use uh, Blinkist, which is sort of like a oh, close yeah, notes of- Great, yeah, great up. Yeah. And, and that, so that would be one ex- thing I would recommend or, um, or YouTube. And, mm-hmm. and for me, uh, the school of life channel on YouTube was a game changer. Uh, you know, I just really didn't like organized religion as my source of spirituality and just trying to grow, um, as a person. And, uh, the school of life was a game changer for me. Um, if I had to recommend to somebody like where to get started with in, in the context of like coaching, it wouldn't be about, you know, career development or career arc, although um, trying to really dig in and trying to understand what are your goals in life and, and really what are the things that you have to check check marks on between the ages of like 22 and 30, I think is mm-hmm. a really, really powerful step that young people need to take. 
um, and, and take advantage of before you have like life responsibilities and kids and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if it would just be around, you know, sort of the Adam development side of, um, of coaching, I would say it would be hitting the school of life and trying to find the parts of that channel. There's hundreds of um, videos there now that are, appeal to you as you're sort of working your way through through the channel and, and trying to what they call culture mind. So take things mm -hmm. from different cultures, philosophies, and, uh, and figure out how they can be valuable to you. When you were talking about, you know, with your coach about the flow aspect, it <clears throat> jogged my memory to actually when we went for lunch. And so this is kind of, I guess we'll have a little full circle moment here as to why Adam is so important to the podcast is because I had kind of wrapped up a contract that I was working on and then the pandemic hit and, you know, I was, I was doing some soul searching as to what, what did I want to do? Did I want to go back into another contract? Um, and what did I want to do? And so Mike said to me, he said, well, you need to just go for lunch with Adam. <laughs> you're like, you're like Buddha, like, you know, all. <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, so he not. said, Adam is Adam is probably one of the most well-versed people I know in, you know, self-development. You know, he said he's done the work. And so I said, okay. And we'd had chats about it, but I hadn't really thought about it that hard. So Adam and I went for lunch one day and had a really great chat. And that aspect of flow came up. And I remember you saying to me, like, go home and you know jot some notes like what do you lose yourself in and um it's funny how that just kind of stuck in my brain and and as you said like it creates a new lens of how you see things through mm. um, so that was super valuable and then adam also um connected me with a coach who i hadn't i hadn't used a coach before i have i've had mentors um but the coaching was actually quite good because that element of accountability especially when you're starting with a blank slate as I was, you know, it can be really daunting kind of going back out there and starting from scratch and sorting what the next step is. So, um, and Evelyn was actually a guest on the the podcast in the first season. I basically told her that she couldn't tell me, no, she couldn't encourage me to do this and then not be a guest. And she was wonderful. So yeah. So thank you, Adam. So that's how the podcast actually really got kickstarted was Adam lit a fire under me and said, get going. And, and then you did. You checked in with me several times and said, how's it going? Like, what have you done? Have you met with anybody? You know, where's where are you tracking towards? And it was super helpful. So thank uh, you. Te Tech Canada has a great term for what I was doing with the checking in. They call it care frontation. Uh, <laughs> Awesome. Which I think is yeah, which I think is a pretty cool term because it's yeah. quite confronting and it you know it can feel um, I don't know like a, a negative if you're not careful and, and caring <laughs> in in the delivery of it. But you know me, hey chick man, see hey's flow is a really good example of of how I interact with with my development because you know like I could have picked up that book and tried to dig through it and try and take something from it, but it's just not how I learn. So you know, mm -hmm. YouTube you know, watch a, an explainer video of it. Or what I began really enjoying was listening to Mihai get interviewed. Uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's recently passed away, but his interviews were really fun. Uh, well, for me, um, anyone with a growth mindset, and then that would take you to like Carol Dweck and growth mindset. And then you just kind of rabbit hole your way through some stuff. And, mm -hmm. but, uh, but, but, but I think it's the journaling. I think, I think it's the reflecting is where the, the real meat of the, the journey is right. Because mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not it's not the learning what flow is, 
it's the reflecting on where you find flow and just kind of sitting there and gosh, is it painful when you're sitting and looking at a blank piece of paper or in my case, like a Evernote on my phone and like trying to resist the urge to go back and look at hockey scores or something, but yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just, just, just like just four minutes, six minutes, mm-hmm. just, eight, just, just spend eight minutes just sitting there like staring blank at something and thinking about it. And, um, our world's so fast twitch these days that we don't give ourselves a lot of space to, to think, but, um, yeah, that's that. That was the 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 carefrontation I was trying to, uh, to <laughs> try and 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 the journeys to here and and so do you find yourself that you find um, podcasting and digging into people's stories is a wonderful place of flow for you? Like you just you get lost in it and it you yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I love that there's like, there's no end of stories to share. Like there's no end of useful information from one person that you can share with multiple people. So I feel like that really drives me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think the last two years, like obviously the podcast started in the pandemic and the, the value of connection and when people share their stories and truly become vulnerable, like it really breaks down a lot of barriers for people. It makes people feel connected and, you know, less alone and maybe something they're dealing with. And that holds huge value for me to be able to bring that to people. Sharing stories is just the most valuable way that we can learn and that mm-hmm. we, we, you know, things can grow through time. And, uh, you know, so Jay Hughes and the idea that culture eats strategy for breakfast, one of the, the, the main mm-hmm. tools of, of that world is, is family storytelling because, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to really, to get these stories told enough times and to create enough sort of rituals and space where families can get together to, 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 to tell stories and, and to care about each other's journeys and so on is, is that, that that's the good stuff. You know, that's mm-hmm. how you grow together and, and you, you learn from each other and you, you, you remember the past and um, all the, the lessons from it. And I just love storytelling and trying to find a way to um, integrate it into more family governance conversations uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you, if you're, you know, a family, at least the families that I've interacted with, you tend to forget sort of your grandfather's siblings' names and what mm-hmm. they did and how they impacted your story. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot of space there to to, to learn from storytelling in, in family enterprise. Mm-hmm. And I think just, you know, a good solid lesson in general. Um, obviously in your line of work, you're, you're dealing with family offices and, uh, you know, successful families, but regardless whether your family has that kind of success, if, and I'm paraphrasing here, so you can definitely correct me, but, uh, I was just reading through some of your things over the past few days and, and the underlying kind of golden rule, uh, that you approach things through is, is the culture piece. And that, from my understanding, you know, is, is the foundation. The other pieces, the strategy, uh, whether there's wealth involved or not, um, those can't come first or it's like a house of cards, effectively. It'll eventually fall. Well, time is our greatest resource for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And whether you have wealth or not, uh, if you recognize that you're using your time more effectively, especially within family dynamics. And, um, and I find wealth can kind of warp that a little bit, you know, it mm-hmm. can, it can create, um, people trying to trade, uh, family experiences for capital deployment in a way that 
you know, can result in no longer having family barbecues or, um, you know, just literally being in too far away, physically distant from each other. So you can't just have random collisions or mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So, so there are ways that, um, yeah, money can disrupt the fact that time is our greatest resource. And there's certainly no better way to build family cultures than just, just to spend time with caring people, people that care about each other. For sure. All right. A few quick last questions and then I'll let you get on with your day. I know Mondays are always jammed, so we'll, we'll keep this moving <laughs> along and we'll close it out here real soon. What is the best lesson of self-growth that either you have learned personally or has been shared with you from, you know, mentor, associate, friend? What's A.O.? For, for me, the best lesson would be just um, choose to be happy. Um, you know, I'm somebody that can be naturally pretty grumpy about things if I'm not careful. And, and I, you know, I think remembering that you get to choose to, to enjoy the world around you and be happy is not a lesson I learned for myself. So that's a good example. Mm -hmm. And you spoke a little bit about failing forward. So what have you learned from, you know, quote unquote failure and where, where does this appetite for risk come from? Oh man, right. We were going to talk about risk. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. And and I don't know why some people are so comfortable with the fears associated with failure that it's a nothing. Yeah. And some people are completely paralyzed by the fears of failure. I don't mm -hmm. that it's a really interesting one to try and work through. I, I think that in my case, like I mentioned earlier, I think that knowing that I had a family that cared about me, that was a safety net, that, mm -hmm. you know, I was always going to be okay, made failure easy. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but I have a, a remarkably high risk tolerance. You um, do. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I got it. It's definitely not just that. There's just something. And all us animals are different. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if I would wish my level of risk appetite on anybody. <laughs> So what are the next steps in your journey and how would you advise others to get started if they're feeling on the fence about where they're currently at in their lives and if they're ready for a pivot? Oh, what a great question. Next up for me would be just this constant checking in on mission statements. So my hmm. personal mission statement is to empower entrepreneurial families to thrive for generations and uh, that's going to result in, in, at some point in my life, no longer being the president of Vesta Wealth Partners and Vesta Family Office. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's, it's just, you know, always thinking sort of through time, um, you know, three-year plans, I think, are uh, the right length of time just to be thinking about, uh, you know, five and 10 years can be too far out there to, to really mm -hmm. help you design where's, where's next. Um, it, but if you're struggling with the next pivot, I think the hardest thing when you don't know anything, you just know that things are off is, is really unpacking the, the sort of the socioeconomic. Um, so Tim Ferriss has a cool exercise from the Stoics that, that he calls, um, uh, I think he calls it the failure exercise. And so the, what he would recommend and what I, I think is good advice here would be to, just really unpacking, writing it out, you know, 
if I stop working in my job, what are the things that are happening? And just mm-hmm. shining a light on all these fears that you have about, uh, about that will, will reveal. If, if I, um, got sick, um, and couldn't, uh, couldn't, you know, didn't, wasn't healthy, what would, what would that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And just like writing out all those, because there's something about just facing these fears that yeah, can really help up. you. Yeah. Yeah. So well, fear setting that, that it's like goal setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tim Ferriss calls it fear setting and he's got some cool exercises for it on his website. And that, that would probably be, because if you're not sure where to go in the pivot, but you can feel that you need it, mm-hmm. um, you're probably just in that journaling stage where you're just, you just need to just be thinking about things. And I mm-hmm. think one of the, the nicest ways to, to, to get, make progress on sort of an unknown pivot would be to face your fears on, on where you're at today. Mm-hmm. Great advice. And um, just so everybody knows, as per usual, I'll have you know, a whole bunch of notes, uh, on the website under Adam's profile when, when the podcast comes out and, you know, try and list as many of these resources as, as possible. So everybody can check them out in that same vein. What are any organizations topics that you want to bring to light that we haven't talked about? Okay. Well, we didn't talk about Vesta Wealth Partners too much because, yeah. Um, it was just my current where I'm at in my story. So we're a single family office and wealth management firm. And what, what I find interesting about this seed is, is it, trying to help families of means from a wealth management position kind of shines a light on where people's alignment are with various uh, people. So, you know, I get paid an assets under management fee or uh, people's investment advisors can invest in my products to make money. Uh, which changes the relationship. So, you know, some of the things that I think are really valuable are finding um, an ecosystem of people to to help you in different ways with different incentives. Uh, and so one I'm really proud of and excited about is um, co-chairing Platform Calgary's Family mm-hmm. Office Division. So uh, families in Calgary that you don't have to have a family office, that term means nothing because it means, you know, a different thing to every family. But um, that's what we call the division. Basically, what we're doing at Platform Calgary is we're finding ways for um, families in and around Calgary to integrate into the innovation ecosystem and uh, and find their way to make the impact that they want to make in the world uh, from a local perspective. So, uh, really excited about Platform Calgary's family office group. We should we should definitely be linking to that. Um, and yeah, so. I think that about covers everything I was hoping to talk to uh, uh, today, Kelly. Perfect. Well, why don't we close this out? I like to end with three questions that I'm asking everybody. Uh, First one is any favorite quote or mantra uh, that you go back to on the regular? With great privilege comes great responsibility. So it's my riff on Spider-Man's saying with great power comes great responsibility, but uh, I think it's important for people to remember with great privilege comes great responsibility for to live a fulfilling life. Very true. Uh, let's move to the present here. What are three things that bring happiness and joy to your life? I think I know, but I'm going to let you say them. <laughs> I've got the girls and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, especially these days, Maeve, our little two-year-old joy is instant joy. Um <laughs> But, you know, on that point, it's the space to enjoy family. 
So mm-hmm. it's not feeling uh, burdened by time obligations in other places and taking mm-hmm. back control of my time is, uh, would be my answer there. Or what well, I need to come up with three. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like that was two. You can say your family and, yeah. and space, like a, some autonomy, I guess. There That's two. Okay, one more. Bring it home. <laughs> uh, Alex, so okay. have, having a partner that uh, accepts the all aspects of weird, authentic Adam <laughs> and is is been all in on the journey uh, is uh, is pretty lucky. And she is absolutely wonderful. I well, 100% vouch for that. Um, okay. And last but not least, the future. What is the like 100,000 foot dream? Ooh, I'd call that like a BHAG, a big, yeah, very BHAG. audacious yeah. goal. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think about driving impact, empowering these entrepreneurial families, I think about storytelling from like a mass scale. So, uh, the things in my head there would be things like, uh, you know, there's this this new AI out where you can get people recorded on uh, on 3D video and it, it'll be like interacting with them through time and they mm-hmm. they interview Holocaust survivors that way. That would be a pretty wow. cool way to to it to impact your rising generations for your generations to come would be with an AI tool like that or, um, you know, just uh, coming up with the type of um, annual event, you know, I almost want to steal the word pilgrimage where um, Mm -hmm. families can have their own series of rituals that they come to, you know, Banff every year and, and, uh, and make their own sort of family rituals happen within uh, an environment that we just kind of create safe space for them to, to make these amazing experiences happen. I, I have lots of uh, big, hairy, audacious goals, (laughs) but they all seem to circle around, you know, making sure families uh, find the best possible way to, to build themselves up because there's nothing that outsiders can do. It's all, it's all work by the families from within. So just, Mm -hmm. just uh, thinking about that are some of the the big things that come to mind. Excellent. Well, Adam, I will let you get going. I want to say thank you again for your time this morning. Um, You've shared so much personally, professionally, and I really appreciate your friendship and uh, checking in on me uh, on my journey. And I, we've, we've come pretty full circle now, I think on that aspect. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And, as long as the circle's still circling, right? Exactly. It's not like you need to circle it in. That's great. No, yeah, I feel like the circle's just kind of like gradually getting bigger and bigger as we were talking Ooh, about kind of right like before we, uh, right before we started recording, you know, I said every season of the podcast gets, a few more, a few more forward steps, right? As I learn more and more about it, so that's that's the goal. Just keep growing in the right direction. So, awesome, <laughs> perfect. Awesome. It was great. Thanks, yeah. thanks for interviewing me, Kelly. I'm I'm happy to be a part of the uh, the journey. Perfect. Well, thanks for sharing yours with us. And as I mentioned earlier, I will have all kinds of tidbits from Adam and Adams and I's chat today, and some links, book info, all that good stuff. You can find it in the notes of the show on the Parlay website. And uh, thanks again, Adam, and uh, we'll see everybody again soon. Thank you everyone for joining me in sharing these connected conversations. If you're enjoying Parlay, I encourage you to share it with your friends, your family, share it on social media. Your support is the biggest compliment we could receive. And be sure to like, follow, and review wherever you get your podcasts. 
Be sure to visit the Parlay website for notes and links from today's episode and all previous episodes. And join me next week as we continue to journey on with inspiring individuals and learn invaluable lessons for betting on yourself.